sometimes glory looks like a process of our own destruction. And this is a hard moment to trust, but in a sense, this is the point where we have to trust the most, right in these moments of crisis, that the moments of crisis are like a seedbed for glory. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Hi, everybody. So um, not only have we become multi-site uh, this morning, we have become international, and I just don't know how much to, how, how, how I can't praise God for that. Thank, I'm so glad you're here, John, with us, uh, and it's, it's just kind of exciting. Um, okay, so John 17, I, you know, I've been, I've been whining about having to speak about this or having to teach on it, and uh, I've asked our Father to forgive me, asked you to forgive me too. But um, I, I still feel like I'm swimming out of my depth. I remember um, one time, only one time I've ever swum in open water in the ocean. And I found it absolutely terrifying. The idea that there was nothing below me that I could ever touch, that I would never be able. To me, I found it intimidating and frightening. I feel some of the same uh, crisis when I'm in this text. It just I feel like I'm out of my depth. I, I, as I'm crawling, through, we're going to crawl through it. I, I, there's so much here. And as I've told us before, I want you to have a picture that we're moving into the most holy place. We're, 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 we're uh, this is image that's in the, in the Old Testament architecture of the temple of going from the holy place to the holy of holies. And I can't help but sense and feel and, 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 and want us to see and, 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 and live in that's 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 a taste of what we have here. It's a taste of of what we're what we're experiencing in this text, but in a in a in a more uh, abstract sense. Uh, it doesn't have the physicality of the temple, but it has it has the uh, it has the immediacy of, of being this intimate conversation between the Father and the Son. Now, last week we looked at the word "give" and how the word "give" just peppers the text, and and how it really is the one of the best. This idea of a gift, the gift-giving God. We are the gift. Christ receives us as a gift. Christ treasures us as a gift. And that, to me, that to me, that's just awfully exciting. I I think it it reaches into an eternal love, an eternal gift giving, and and that we are we are Christ's Christmas in the end. And and we're we're going to return to that at the end of this again. But but I, what I want us to, to to focus on things we don't necessarily understand. So the first place. I want to go is the word glory, and it comes right in the text. So we're going to crawl. My plan over the next four weeks or so is that we're going to crawl through this text, and I want to take every little word that we may not know or may be obscure or might have have um, uh, might distance us from uh, 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 and with its abstraction. I want to get in there. I want to get in there, and I want to I want to hold on to it. So we're going to look at the word glory now. Glorifying God's glory. And the glory of Jesus is now becomes uh, it's it, what it's it's it, the word is used. It's called doxa in the Greek, 
and uh, that's used all over this, this, this prayer. It begins with it and it ends with it. Now, so I'll take you right to the, let's go right to the text now so you can see it. And everybody will tell me, I hope, uh, if this is working properly. Um, you should have uh, John 17, 1 through 10 before you, do you? Do you see, yeah, you don't have, you don't see the, uh, all the pictures of everybody at all then. That's yeah, just me. Both. You see both? I can see. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. Well, that's the best we're going to do. I'm not going to worry about it. Um, now, uh, so here it is. And, and, uh, and I, oh, let me see here. Let me see if this is, let me, yeah, this is the packs and this is where we are right now. You'll look down here um, and you'll see, I wonder if this will work here. It actually, it actually ends down here too. Here, uh, can you all see me doing that with marking the text? And so uh, glory then ends ends as well. And so I, I added 22 through 24 so we could see, and we're going to go to those texts too that I'm glorified in them. These three last items are going to become important at the end. But here, I want you to look at these, the first, the first uh, verse, verse one up here. Father, the hour has come. Now, uh, what's been noticed by a lot of exegetes is, isn't this interesting? So Christ begins with glory. Well, we just prayed the Lord's Prayer together, didn't we? We all just prayed, hallowed be your name. And uh, Christ is, in a sense, it's kind of beautiful. It's been marked by, by men who have seen it before. Here he is, he is doing what he told the disciples to do in his own prayer. And don't miss this. This is, this is all about the glory of God. Uh, we fulfill and we begin to fulfill uh, that wonderful statement from the Westminster Confession of Faith in the Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? You should know this. If you don't know it, don't worry about it. But what is the chief end of man? If you've heard it before, you would have heard the answer. What is the chief end of man, the chief purpose for, for us? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God. And, and, and so, if we come to this wonderful opening here, and, and every time we also have an idea, when we go to pray, what are we seeking? To glorify God in prayer. Let us always begin there. The sun begins there. He teaches us to pray this way. Let's grab it. Let's grab it as the place of glory. Uh, you know, when we pray in private, or we pray secretly, or we pray nobody, he nobody knows, or we pray together, what's happening? These are moments of glory. They're moments of glory for him. And, and so we, you know, this, this idea, we just begin all the time in your private and personal prayer. Uh, let's take it from an abstraction and bring it into something real. Father, glorify yourself in our prayers. Uh, glorify your name. And, and I want you to notice the language here. This word glorify here that's used here, uh, right there, that is in the imperative. It's the way the son talks to the father, glorify. It's, it's a claim. It's, a, it's bold. It's real. And we're being invited into it. And I, I want to begin there because of how much this, this just sings to me. Also, I want to connect it with John's uh, document so far. John 1.14, we're going to see a little later, tells us that we have beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we come to John 17 here, John is continuing as an author to satisfy his original thesis. They, they were witnesses of the glory of God. And so we're coming to this last text here, and, and, and this is all kind of coming to, coming to fruit. It's all coming to truth. It's all coming to reality here that, uh, that, uh, 
that we are glorifying God. Now, what I want to do is I want to take us through three, three steps about this. First, the dark side of glory. There's a, there's a darkness in it, and I, and I think this text is meant, is meant to take us there. And we'll, I think you'll see why. Uh, there's a dark side of glory, but there's also a revelation of the glory that exalts the cross. Uh, that's where we kind of, that's the meeting place of darkness and glory, and then light. Because beyond the cross is resurrection and forgiveness for sinners. And that's the bright side of glory. We move in some ways. And, and the language of glory helps us do this. So there's two words for glory in the Bible. The Old Testament is kabod. And now I want to, I want to park over this for just a second. And that word means uh, heavy. It means weighty. And it comes to mean, it comes to mean as the scriptures expand across time, uh, because they're written not in one point, they're written across thou over a thousand years. It begins is really concentrated on that ancient concept that glory and weight and and uh, and heaviness is this idea of something something heavy, uh, full of glory as, as a picture of weight. Now you're going to see that has some darkness to it. Now, but then it gets more radiant as the scriptures go along, and then by the time you get to the Psalms, where this word is used most frequently in the Old Testament, it becomes something of radiance, a light of 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 openness and beauty. Now, and expands that way. Now, in the New Testament, we get to the word doxa. Now, you've heard we, 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 uh, we end with a doxology, where we sing the doxology. Well, doxa, that's the word doxa, doxa logos. It's the word of glory. So we end every worship, we begin every worship with glory to be the Father. We end every worship with the word of glory, uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. So glory is all about our worship and everything. But that word doxa uh, it has to do with reputation and honor, and then again, in New Testament, achieves a, a height and a depth and a radiance, an effulgence of beauty and incandescence in the New Testament that is just like the old. It just opens it up, and the, the word doxa, as it's used in the ancient Greek language, becomes transformed in the New Testament into something kind of beautiful and radiant. But let's take a look now at the dark side of glory, because I think we need to, we need to go there. Now, uh, the, dark side of, the dark side of glory, uh, it, it, this, 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 this struck me. I want you to take a look. First, at the dark side of glory, it is always opposite of our glory. Uh, look at Exodus 7, 14. Now, I, I never seen this before. Uh, it blew me away. The I am said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Well, that's interesting. Every time the scripture talks about Pharaoh hardening his own heart, it uses the word for glory. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that there's a glory that uh, the, the Pharaoh pits his own glory against God's glory. Now, every time it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart, it does not use that language. It uses something different. And so uh, there's something here that God's glory and our glory are in, are in direct opposition. They're in direct opposition. And in a sense, his glory, the pun here, the play on words here in, the, in this word, in this word hardened, that, that's it. That, that is meant to, it meant to reveal something. And I, I, I just, this, this, this little nugget, this little exegetical nugget of a pun just really blew me away. It's an interesting way to understand this and even understand exchanging glory in Romans 1. But more on that some other time. But uh, that's the first thing we see. The second thing you need to see of the dark side of glory is that it, uh, it is a glory that um, demands absolute holiness. 
It, it, this script, no man sh for no man shall see my face and live. This, 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 this expression right here. I don't know how to how to change what I just did there, but uh, man shall not see me and live. There's an idea pregnant in the scripture that God's glory demands absolute holiness. It is a forbidding glory. It is a glory that pushes you away, as it were, and pushes us away. That gets reiterated here in Psalm in Isaiah 42. Said, I am the I am, that is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve idols. There's, there's a sense in which God's glory is only for himself. Now, it's interesting in our text, he shares it, but, 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 but don't, don't miss this. I won't give my glory to another, nor my praise to carve idols. What is part of God's glory is his uniqueness. He is not like any other God. One of his glories, it's even in our text, uh, remember when it says this is eternal life to believe that he is the only true God? That there is God's unique claims to be the only true God is a part of his glory. And there's a darkness to that because, because that means his glory is not shared with people who don't revere him as the only God. And you see here an interesting way. That, in other words, if we are people who believe there are many ways to God, as many people do, and that idea may have creeped into your imagination or consciousness, Forbid it, chase it away, chase it away. Because you know, part of his glory is his uniqueness. He is not like another. And he, will, and he is absolutely jealous for his own. Now, look, this is another part of the dark side of glory. Look at Romans 3, 23. And this is one that I, this is one of those passages that's a little bit odd. It, it seems like mixed metaphors. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How do you, what does that mean? Well, I think it means, and I mean, clearly, is that what makes our sin sinful is that it doesn't glorify God. In other words, the very sinfulness of sin is that it doesn't glorify or give him glory, that it falls short, it, it doesn't magnify, it doesn't do what we're supposed to do as humans, which is to glorify God. What is man's sheep then? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Romans 3 is telling us that the sinfulness of sin is known by the fact that it rejects and denies, it tarnishes, it removes, it, 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 it empties, as it were, the glory, or falls short of the glory of God himself. Now, I, the reason I'm sharing all this is, is that, so we can see here that the, on the eve of the cross, Christ is talking about glory. This is why I was talking about darknesses in this moment. I want you to follow this with me, because glory has some darkness to it. And it has some things that are threatening and frightful. And because what I was struck by is that Christ is talking that now he is glorified and he's only hours away from the garden. Well, actually, he's just a few minutes away from the garden of Gethsemane. And he's just a few hours away from being betrayed, scourged, rejected, uh, abused, tormented, whipped, and crucified and killed. He is right on, the, earth, on the, the verge, right on the eve, right on the advent of all of his purposes, and it's darkness. Don't make no mistake. This, it's interesting that he talks about this is the hour of his glory because it doesn't look glorious. In fact, it's hidden, its glory is going to be hidden. Nobody's going to be able to see it. Everybody's going to run. Nobody's going to know there's any glory here at all. And what this, the reason I think this is so important is that glory at times is not what it seems. It's not what it seems. Um, so here he is, here, here he is, right on the night of the cross, before the cross, here are the, here are the words, and I glorified you on earth. 
Uh, glorify me in your own presence now with the glory you have before the world. Now, this word now is right there in verse 5. This word now. Well, this, what's it talking about? What's that now talking about? It's talking about the cross. Now, why is that important? Well, it teaches us that glory can be counterintuitive. In other words, it doesn't look like what you think it's going to be. Uh, we can get into a, a, a desire for glory and the glory of God that wants to avoid a cross, wants to avoid that there may be suffering involved or that there may be confusion involved. Let me give you an example about this. Uh, let's just take a look at what we're doing here. We're all talking. We're talking across these uh, to uh, this the internet right now, and and I don't know how many people are listening or or, or engaged even at this moment. But there's a certain kind of I can feel in my bones. It's almost like pointlessness to it all. Like, well, what's the point? You know, what are we doing? Like, why are we making such an effort? And what's the what, you know, why, and that's exactly what those disciples were going to be thinking in about two hours after this, you see? They're going to be thinking, what's the point? What, what, and they're going to, it's going to haunt them. How, in the darkness of their own betrayal, in the darkness of their own failure and confusion, didn't he just say he was being glorified? What, isn't he being saying he's being glorified in us? What, how does that connect? So they were going to learn an important lesson, and that is sometimes glory uh, looks like a process of our own destruction. That's weird, isn't it? It's hard to take. And this is a hard moment to trust. But in a sense, this is the point where we have to trust the most, right in these moments of crisis. That the moments of crisis, moments of death, the moments of, the moments of fear and trembling, the moments of confusion and doubt and despair are, the, are like a seedbed for glory. That's, that is hard for us. I, I think, and, 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 what, and the, the challenge comes, how will we, in the midst of this crisis or any crisis of our lives, the crises in our marriages, the fulfillment we didn't get that we thought we were going to get, the, the job that didn't work out, all these things that are crunching on us, are we going to be able to double down that, that glory can be shown in the dark? Because glory is shown in dark places and in dark times and, and uh, uh, in fact, it must be, it must be so. I remember this, uh, I remember this, um, this happened last year, you know, uh, it was almost a year ago. So a year and a half ago was uh, around October, just October, November of 2018. Something really remarkable happened to me. I've been processing it for that since then. I lost my ordination and my career in the PCA and, and our church was isolated. Um, my mom was going through cancer surgery, and I was going through a bitter, a bitter a trial, uh, a court trial. Now, all that had happened within about 12 days of one another. And one of the things that hit me in that moment was I had to, there's nobody has authority. You notice that he says all authority was given to him. We're going to look at that next week. But what does that mean, and why is it so important? But, but uh uh, that was the moment which I had to acknowledge that only God could have arranged these three things to happen in that sequence at that time for me. And what was that? That was like darkness just coming over, just complete darkness until, until I could bless the Lord that it was his hand for his glory. This is a crucible moment for us where we can get to a point where we experience 
such devastation, but still reckon his glorious power is at work. You see, and then that's it. It's a place to double down, even when everything's screaming against you not to. Trust his glory, trust his process, and engage it. The reason I say this isn't simple. So Jesus here, he sounds so certain, doesn't he? That, listen to his tone. Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. Uh, since you have given authority over all flesh, give it to eternal life. I glorified you on earth. You hear it. If you don't hear what is they're going to hear in the garden. In chapter 18 of John, verse 1, it says, and they went to the garden. Now, the other synoptics, John knew this. That's why John doesn't talk about it. The other synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record a crisis in the garden. So, so as clear as Jesus sounds here, as clear as maybe you, you can feel today, right now, there'll come a moment where that'll be tested. And, and, so, and one of the things I want us to see here is that we're in a process. Even Christ is in process of how to figure out how glory works when it's a counter to his own desires. Because he says, if it, if it would be, be, your, be your will, let this cup pass from me. He asked for things that sound like a contradiction of his confidence here, but it isn't. I, no, hear me here. There's going to be times in the darkness for us to reiterate and double down that we believe in God's glory no matter what, even though everything is against us and we are committed to it. And guess what? It's going to feel really certain sometimes, and then other times you're going to be battling, battling it to say it. Does that make sense? You see what's happening here? You see, this very story is teaching us something. Even Christ's own confidence here seems to be evaporate in the garden for a moment, where he cries out in desperation. Well, what's going on there? Well, we're learning a lesson. If we're going to, we, we're sometimes going to be traveling through the dark parts of glory the dark side of it. And it's even in those moments, we're going to have to fight, fight with our faith, fight to renew, fight to remember, fight at, his, at the cross, fight at our knees at the throne to believe and to trust that all things work together for good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And, and, and this is a, and the reason I'm telling you all this is so you're prepared. Don't be dismayed by the fact that you're going to be in crisis and in doubt. Don't be dismayed by this. It is par for the course. It is the way it runs. You're in the same track. You're in the same school of our Savior's suffering. So that's the first, this first moment, the dark side of glory. We're even experiencing it right now in this. There's a disintegration here, right, of our community. We're all separate in different houses and homes. And, uh, and that's not fun. And, and, and some of that darkness is here right now. And there's more to come, I think. More to come, more, to, more, for, me to, more, more for me, more for you. So let's be ready. Let's be ready for the hard hours where we're going to want to challenge God even and pray like Christ prayed. Does it have to be like this? Can it change it, Father? And we're allowed to pray that. And let's pray it in Christ. All right. But let's, let's go on now to, so that's for, so much for the dark side of glory. But I want us to go on now to uh, this, uh, the, the bright side of glory, as it were as begin the bright side of glory. Now, so Exodus 33 is going to be a text we're going to be back in because uh, uh, it's really, it's such an, it's one of the high points, high watermarks of the Old Testament. And it's the crisis, by the way, by the way, it's the same crisis that Christ is experiencing with the disciples. 
because the disciples don't understand him. Remember, they, their, their, their overconfidence and spiritual pride has led them to not accept his description of a cross and his death. And Peter rebukes him, and he had to rebuke him back and all that stuff. Well, the people of God here in Exodus 33, here in Exodus 33, guess what? The people of God just, just prostituted themselves before an idol. They were having an orgy. They, they, God wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth. And, and Moses intercedes, and he says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And he acts just like Jesus. He said, even offers himself. He says, you know, don't, you know don't, don't do it to your people, or people won't remember your promises. So Moses is in a leadership crisis dealing with the darkness of glory. And, and, and some of it's here, we, we were just pointing out. But I want you to see this here. Um, stand in a rock. Stand on the rock. And on my glory path, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand as my glory passes by. So Moses asked to see God's glory. And what a boldness, what a beauty, what a, what a desperation he has here. And, and God says, I'm going to show it to you in part. So while some of the glory passes by. But then look what, look what John says. In John 1.14, this shouldn't be possible, right? No man see my, shall see me and live. We have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How do you get from here down to here? How do you get there? You get through there through the rock, the cleft of the rock, and covering with his hand. What is happening here? What hands are these? They're the hands with the imprints. They're the hands of the cross. Where we are hidden in Christ. When Christ died on the cross, we died with him, and so did our sins die. But when he was raised, raised from the dead, we were raised with him as well. Here in this text is the, sec the, the secret, the secret uh, here in Exodus 33, how glory keeps us away from God. Well, he creates a way that we can be present in it and through it, and we can have this intimacy from John 1.14. How do we get there? By faith in Christ. This is really beautiful stuff. So even as we're struggling with the dark side of glory, where do we run? Where do we hide? How do we deal with it? How do we deal with the, uh, the thoughts in our minds that we're getting what we deserved? See, that's what happens when bad things happen. Maybe we're getting what our sins deserve finally, and there's fear in our hearts. What should we do? What shall we do again? Well, for every one look at your sin, take 10 looks at the cleft in the rock. Take 10 looks at the hand that covers. And take 10 looks at a place of like what Christ is called the rock, the rock in which I am built. Oh, it a beautiful picture of refuge and safety, even from God's own judgments. Praise him. So there's what one thing we're invited to here is, is, a, is, is a renewed focus on the events that happen in the crucifixion so that we can know that this is how much we are loved, and this is, despite this darkness, uh, light is coming. And, and I, this is incandescent, guys. Then being united with him in his sufferings, we're also united to him in his glory. That's exactly where this all goes, you see. And Christ knows that. So let's begin by uh, this idea of returning again and again to a sharp, determined, clear focus on the beauty of our Savior on the tree, dying for sinners, dying willingly of his own authority even. We're gonna, we'll see that more of that later, but it's beautiful. So uh, I, I, I invite us back to, uh, to, to focus again on the cross, for that will, that's where his glory and the riddle of his glory and the darkness of his glory becoming light and radiance makes so much sense. There could be such a, a transformation for us. 
uh, this is worship to me. I, I get so excited about this. Um, the cross reveals the glory of his mercy, the his name and his love. You notice we, something happened here. We went from some of the imminence, the imminent problems, like how do we deal with Christ being involved with our sin and our ruin and realizing that he's in it, he's even in our failures, bringing them to in his glorious light and, and showing his glory anyway. And now we're moving on to something more transcendent and bright and beautiful. And, and you can't miss that this is the process. You will always have a time of darkness preceding a time in the light. It's, and it, 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 it's part of one of the rhythms and cycles of spiritual life. And, and, we, and, we, uh, and we, need to, we need to engage in it. Now, so the revelation of his glory now exalts the cross and a new focus in our hearts. And we're not afraid. So what do we, what, where does it take this? Where do I want to take this now? I want to take it to the bright side of his glory revealed by the Holy Spirit. What's, what's the nature of the bright side of his glory? Well, look at this right here. Look, notice how it's in this present tense right here. Now, that's, uh, I, I, that's a great translation of that. And that's that it communicates an immediacy. It is a glory realized in us now. This is so strange. I, I, you know, sometimes I make a crack a joke about this, and I, here in, um, and uh, and look at Romans eight thirty. We're gonna look at these texts as they kind of open up, open up the this truth to us. But I want us to make uh, pay attention to Romans eight thirty. Look, look at even Rome, in Exodus twenty eight verse two. Uh, with holy garments for Aaron for your for glory. Oh, what a beautiful! It, it, in the Old Testament, in seminal form, is this idea that we'll be clothed. The glory. Isn't that beautiful? <coughs> so there it is. There's the promise. There's the, there's the truth. Then uh, here in uh, Romans 8, 16, uh, and say it's 16 through 17, we see this connection with suffering with him, glorified with him. You see, we've already been talking about this. You see the going from the, a place of darkness into brightness and into truth, into some of its truths. It, that's a part of the process. Uh, of what we're involved in, in this, in this, but look at this glorified, this past tense right here. Uh, sometimes when I'm preaching on this, I have this little, little joke, you know, stupid joke I'd make. Oh, if I look around, you don't look that glorified to me. And uh, it's just me being silly. But, you know, I, I think that I make a mistake when I do that now, as I thought about it, because I want to take this right now. If, if, if this is in the past tense here, in this use right here, and as it is here in the Rome, in the verse 17, you know what it means? We're not permitted to despise ourselves. We're just not. And I'm not permitted to despise you. And you're not permitted to despise me. That, there's something about that. I, that causes great, that causes me to pause. It causes me to kind of, uh, it arrests a, a big part of my spiritual life, which is, Oh, woe is me, I'm awful, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm sinful, I'm no, I'm no good, I'm a terrible pastor. You know, if you hear me talking like that, I am betraying that I don't have confidence that I've been glorified. That even though it doesn't appear to be, even though the darkness of this face hides his glory, it does, of course it does. And the darkness of my countenance and our countenance and our lives, make no mistake, we have this as a certain possession immediately, right now. So I'm forbidden to despise you. You're forbidden to despise me or anybody else in the kingdom because we are glorified people. Uh, you know what this tells me? 
you bet we, we, you know, when we don't sign up to help out with the kids or when we're resistant to little things that we have to do in the church or volunteer sign up gets difficult and, or we get, or if we speak ill of other people, or we kind of say, a you know, I don't know about the sermon, or I don't know about today, or we have a critical attitude about, fly, run, run away from the bad report. You know why? Because it doesn't believe in glory, does it? Isn't that wonderful? And so, um, and, and, and this can be very hard. Look at, look, at, look at your spouse. That's a glorified person right there. Treat them as such. <laughs> take off your holy, take off your shoes because in their presence you're in holy ground, right? This is a beautiful picture of now. Let's grab this now because here it is in the text. Let's go on from there. It's not only a glory realized in us, it's a glory shared together. Notice it's the glory you gave me, I have given to them. And that's where this idea of unity and then love, unity and love comes up that they may be perfectly one. Now, most of the people that you, if you know John 17, this is the most commonly um, quoted bit of it. And it's usually where people go to talk about how we should be doing things together as churches or, or more we should be doing things together as a cross church. And, and sure, that's, that's, I think that helps satisfy and starts to live in that. But I suspect that this has more to do with unity with the people that you're irritated by. And you don't get irritated by people unless you're living up close to them and you're in the same church as them. It's very hard to be irritated by John Deerkin anymore because John's all the way in Tokyo. You know, it's just the way it is. And if he were here, it would be easier and vice versa. So it's just the way it is. Now, so this oneness right here, I want us to hear it. You know, it's interesting uh, to hear, hear this is the word. You will not know the glory of Christ if you don't participate in community. Stop it. Stop pulling back. Stop, stop withdrawing. If you want to, we want to cash this in. We've got to be committed to each other and deeply committed and deeply committed to, the, to this one and this love and this love in our relationships together. Uh, we will, and look, look, you have put a ceiling on how far you will get knowing the glory of God. Every time you pull away from community, you put a glass ceiling in place. You just, you just pretty much arrested and stopped what you can know and what you can participate in. And that is so clear here in the text. We will only truly glorify him and know his glory what? Together. That's why we're doing this even across, these, uh, across uh, the internet because we believe this truth to be true, that we are glorifying Christ in this very moment with my voice and our hearts and attention. Praise, isn't that beautiful? And so let's, let's renew our hearts and renew our commitment to the community and to the body uh, because only by doing so Will we, will we bring, be bringing glory and knowing the glory and the bright side of his glory together? And this really kind of helps us when we deal with darkness in our community and the, and the darkness of our apathy and our resistance to being, being connected to people and our, misog our, mis our misanthropy and then how, and how, 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 how ugly that is. We finally give it up. It's only in committed community, though. Well, I'm not sad. Enough said. Uh, here, here in the text, uh, here in the, uh, it's also proved elsewhere. Take a look here. Um, to him be glory in the church, it says in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. In the church that in Christ Jesus, those are coordinate clauses. In the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So there's glory is in a community together. These, these are all 
All these are all in the plural. All these are, these are plurals. Oh gosh, I shouldn't even try that. They're all in the plural. Uh, so is this down here, so are these. Do I need to continue to make my point? Uh, I, I run the things that, one of the joys I saw this in recently was, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna embarrass Melody and Simon, but they, uh, they, they, they communicated to me and to leadership that, that even though that they know that, that, that uh, God's calling them elsewhere, they wanna stay committed and, and even volunteer more before they leave. Well, you know what that is? That's treating even our sorrow, even the darkness of having to separate is saying, no, we, we still believe God's glory is here and we're still committed. And I, I think that I don't, I'm not praising them. I am praising what the Holy Spirit is doing in them. That's not, it's not from them, is it? It's what God does and what he creates. So praise him. And I think that's a, a great evidence of that reality amongst us. I think we've tasted some of this. Uh, now, but let's end with this final place, because not only is it a glory realized in us, and, and we, that we have to, as part of our identity, and not only is it a glory shared together, uh, and that we actually grow in by being committed to one another, it's also a glory that's going to come. It's a glory that we're waiting for. Now, well, what's the importance of this? It's a perspective. We need the perspective. The dark days are coming. We need a perspective that looks way ahead to that, that looks way ahead and knows that there's a glory that is a part of Jesus's love and desire to simply be with us. You see, I consider that my present sufferings are not worthy, what? To be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. I didn't put that text in there, but that, it's not worthy. What's the, what's the point of that text? It's, it's teaching you compare What's happening here, the ingloriousness of life at times, of suffering, of the ignominy, the insignificance. So what? Christ has said he wants, to, he wants you to see his glory that he had before the foundations of the world. I had this picture. You know, I know not everybody, you know, we don't know for certain if science has, has accurately told us how ancient the universe is, but that it, by, good, by good report and by good, uh, by good uh, investigation, it's some 14 billion years old. Well, this means that Jesus has been waiting that long for you and me. He must be so excited. He must be so enthused. He must be so over himself, over the moon, that he will finally be able to, he says, it is my desire, my desire. It's what I want. I want those you gave me. I want my presence to be with me where I am to see my glory. Look, last week, I talked about the glory, looking forward to the glory we have after we die. And I did not know that the next morning Dale was going to die from an asthma attack or that Jim was going to die, uh, uh, Jack's friend, or that Gary, three people close to our community and, and are meaningful to people in our church have died this very week. And now we're looking forward to what looks like the threat of the death of many others in the weeks and months ahead. So I take this to be Jesus preparing us. I don't, nothing, nothing's accidental in the kingdom. And our Father's preparing us. We need to keep our eyes on glory. When God calls people home, he's calling them home because of a desire to be with them. And don't miss how precious this is. I want to share this with you. I was, um, uh, the joy and desire of Jesus is so beautiful. I, I was talking to my brother, Joe, and, um, and Joe's been going through a super hard time. And, 
and God's leading him through it, and God's God's uh, showing him his glory in the darkness. And uh, but he said something to me. He said, "You know, Chris, if you shared with mom and dad uh, just how thankful you are that for their faith, because their death doesn't mean that you won't see them again." And do you ever tell them that? I was like, "I don't think so. I've never told them that." He said, well, I do. And when I told him, you should have seen the smile on my dad's face. You should have seen the smile on dad's face. You should have seen it. Like it just gave them such relief. I never thought about it, but that would give my mom and dad relief to know that their faith gives me a certainty of future glory. <laughs> and uh, so I did that. And I did it yesterday with dad. And it's exactly what it did. <laughs> it just created thankfulness. Now, not all of us get to share this with our parents. I know that. But we get to share it with one another. And whenever we get to share it, we need to celebrate it. And, and we need to have our eyes fixed on it ahead because it's real and it's true. And it's, it's beautiful words for us. Beautiful words about the desires of God. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I, I um, let me see here. I see uh, the Lord of glory. Look, uh, look, look uh, um, uh, uh, I don't want to, I, I want to be done here in a second. I want, I want you to go back down to Ephesians 3, 21, 20 through 21. Who in me glory in the church. We just saw that, how that means for community. But how long, how long does he want glory in the church? To what, it, what limit is there glory in the church? To what extent will he get glory out of First Presbyterian Church? Throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see, this is this is bound. This is all this is all locked down, guys. This is locked down. Now, let's join Moses. Show and let's join him. Moses wanted something. He asked to see the glory of God. Let's now train our hearts with that kind of prayer. Let us now take the Lord's prayer as it's a model for us and follow Christ's own patterns. And let's now set our hearts to be a part of glory, to be hungry for glory. And uh, I think we will have done, done what we're supposed to do. You know, what is the chief and highest end of First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco? What is the chief and highest end of Simon and Melody and Corey and Natalie and Will and me and John Deerkin and Simon and everybody else? I'm saying Frankie and Anna and Jenna. <laughs> what is the chief end? of all this, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. With what? With the enjoyment that he now has, how now wants and now seeks with us. I, I think this is, um, I hope that you're fed and you're fed and you're driven and perhaps even now wanting to cry out, show me your glory. Father, show me your glory in this darkness. Show me your glory in the dark days. Show me your glory today. Show me it when I can't see it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, let's, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. I, I thank you for the passion of your son <laughs> who comes with, with a keen, keen eye and a keen heart and a keen purpose that he would glorify your name. Father, we're, 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 in, we're in over our heads. Glory is such an abstract term so often. We, it doesn't penetrate us real well. And, and, uh, but now, if maybe your glory, uh, the image of your glory 
uh, we can see some of the darkness in our hearts now, how, how we have fallen so short of it, how, how your glory even reveals us to be the sinners we are, how it removes us from you. But now we run to the cross. Father, give us that proportion that for every one look at our sin, our failure, our ugliness, our, our gossip, our, our unbelief, every time we see it, we take 10 looks at a Savior who willingly died so that he would, have, he would glorify himself in us. He would willingly go through all that suffering just for us out of love. And now he would give us his glory and share it with us. And we can actually hope in it. And we can be in the cleft in the rock and say, show me your glory with nothing to fear, nothing to fear in the revelation of our Father's love, nothing to fear because we too are glorified. Father, give us a new sense of this. Give us, help us to teach uh, our, to, to, to treat our children and our, and our, and our, and the people at church and our pastor and one another and our elders and everything we do as glorified things, holy things. Oh my goodness. And let, let us treat it like that. And now give us a vision of your love and, and help us to know it. And, and give us a vision of your tender expectation yourself and help us to expect it that one day we will share in your glory. We'll see your glory, yours and not another. What is it that Job said, Father? I know that my Redeemer lives and I will in my flesh I shall see God, I myself with my own eyes and not another. Give us the confidence that Job had, the confidence that Moses had to be so bold, the confidence that these disciples later had when they realized that he was glorified even through their shame and discouragement. And now, boy, they set them on fire. Let us set us on fire today. Holy Spirit, come and reveal to us and show us the Father's glory and the glory that's in Jesus. For we pray it in his name. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.